This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. Sorry, I usually pronounce that a little bit better. Caverns. Caverns. Below the metro area. It's episode 668 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick. And if Lady Gaga is going to play Harley Quinn opposite Joaquin Phoenix in Joker 2, the only way I'm going is if it's a musical. Nobody says caverns. And I'm your head number two. My name is Matt Baum. And we know Phoenix can dance, but that singing voice, woof. It's time for another Cosmic Longbox episode, where we review and discuss eight back issue comics based on a theme. And after that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum so we can talk about our must-read picks for next week. It's all happening in this scorcher of an episode, perfect for the heat wave, currently baking North America, Matt Bomb. We're getting a break from the heat. It's only oh, a Finally, we can cool off. So get those shirts off, kids, because it's back issue review time in the cigarette. As I'm sure you're aware, June is Pride Month, and just like us, it turns out the Cosmic Long Box is also an ally to the LGBTQ community. And it has chosen yet another perfectly timed theme. I'm coming out. Um, For years now, coming. queer characters oh. had only been suggested in comics, but I'm today. Coming. All right, so now. <laughs> <We'll> <laughs> I can't hit that falsetto. It's not a falsetto because she's a lady, but right. I, I can't hit that. It note. is when you do it. For years now, queer characters had only been suggested in comics, but today we're going to take a look at issues featuring characters that were once considered straight until they were finally allowed to come out right there on the comic page. Joe Patrick, you're loud and you're proud, and you are the perfect person to get this comic parade started, buddy. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know what? I am proud. And uh, my wife does tell me that I do get loud sometimes, get so loud sometimes, it's yeah. it's true. First up for me, Flash 53 from DC Comics 1991 was the year the writer was William Messner Loeb's, the artist Greg LaRock. And here is your uh, synopsis, I guess. The Flash must team with the Man of Steel in order to rescue a kidnapped Jimmy Olsen. Plus, the Flash's foe-turned-friend Pied Piper reveals some interesting news about himself. Before the Speed Force, before his death, resurrection, retconning, and rebirth, there was Wally West, agent of the IRS. <laughs> and before you ask, no, the acronym does not mean something cool and different in the DC Universe. It stands for Internal Revenue Service. Straight up tax, man. Pre-Mark Wade, uh, Wally West was full of money woes. He wasn't sure and, what he wanted to do yet. You know, he's grown up. He's a young, uh, well, like young he Walrus West. Come on. He, he <laughs> inherited a bunch of money. He lost a bunch of money. He won the lottery at some point. <laughs> and like then Spider-Man. lost all that money. It's like, yeah. Uh, and so he took a job with the IRS, and that's where we're at, at at this point in time. Also, this is a very different era for The Flash. No speed force. He has to eat thousands of calories of a day to fuel his metabolism. He wore a very extreme metallic version of his costume. Oh, yeah. And 
uh, he barely runs faster than the speed of sound. I believe that's kind of where he tops out at this point in time. This is where we find the, you know, still fastest man alive, as he has a very frank and honest conversation with his friend and former villain Pied Piper, who confesses to Wally that he is a gay man. Wally handles it with his usual level of maturity, meaning he makes an excuse and runs away. It just so happens that he really did need to run to meet up with Superman, who needs help tracking down his kidnapped pal, Jimmy Olsen. The adventure itself is pretty standard. It's fun, goofy superhero stuff. It's got a really terrible villain named the Silver Squid. Yeah. Uh, who is basically just like a PTSD Afghani vet who are like a, 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 a mercenary with PTSD who thinks he's like still fighting Gaddafi or some nonsense. Yeah, it's kind of sad, actually. Like, uh, you know, the VA was like, you get out of here with your yeah, right. electricity like, throwing powers. Sorry. Uh, we don't we don't have a bed that can accommodate a terrifying <laughs> electrical <laughs> shooting, uh, electricity shooting supervillain. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's the typical DC like fictional dictator from a, a fictional country. Uh, but the uh, the issue does have some really excellent character moments from Messner Loeb's script. In less than a year, everyone would be talking about Mark Wade, but Messner Loeb's helped set the stage for that run, and his time on The Flash is full of great stories like this one. Greg LaRock was one of the first artists I really started paying attention to as a kid because his work is so different than anything else I was reading at the time. Consider this is 1991. So on the stands, on all the hottest books, we've got... Uh, you know, we've got Dan Jurgens about to kill Superman. We've got Todd uh, McFarlane. We've got Rob Liefeld. We got Jim Lee. Like it's, and then Greg Lorock is over here on the Flash doing these weirdo like contorted faces and yeah. like it's interesting art. I do really love how he drew Wally and Superman in motion in particular. There's a couple of really great shots of like Superman flying, and like I think that he really captured like how maneuverable Superman is. Like he's just like snaking very tightly through like dark buildings and stuff. Yeah, like I thought it was cool. flying like upside down in panels and stuff. Yeah, and, the, there's that that one panel where he's flying out of the city upside down yeah. with his cape. Like that's a great that's a great page. This is an issue that I read around the time that my appreciation for comics was turning into an obsession. And Wally's moment with Piper has stuck with me for over 30 years. Now, it might be the first time, this might be the first comic I ever read where the character just flat out said, I am gay. Like, this is this predates the North Star issue. Yeah, well, by a lot. And uh, everything else is just hints and innuendo, right? Like, this might be the first comic that I read as a spinner rack uh, you know, purchasing kid where the where a main character in a mainstream superhero book was like, I'm gay. And I thought it was great. It's a little bit dated by today's standards, but I thought Flash 53 still held up. I'm giving it a buy it. It is a, OK. It is a little dated by today's standards. I agree. Um, this is back when Superman was crazy powerful and we just need to dial him down a couple issues. So he like, oh, I need the Flash's help for this. <laughs> you know, like, OK, whatever. But regardless, I thought the way that they handle the conversation when it does come up, the Pied Piper and Flash are on a building and Flash is talking about, you know, like now they're buddies and the Pied Piper was a bad guy for a long time. And now he's a good guy. And they're having these conversations. Yeah, he, about, he was never like one of the psycho baddies, right? right. He was one of the rogues. The where rogues they just at like, this time were kind of a joke. They want to hang out, drink beer and yeah. rob banks. The rogues were not the rogues of today. They were kind of a joke at this point still. And they were saying like, oh, yeah, we don't mess, we never messed around with serious guys like, you know, Abracadabra or the Joker. 
And, and he was like, yeah, the Joker, that guy's nuts, super crazy. And like Flash's like, do you think he's gay? And Piper's like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I mean, you know, he just kind of got that thing about him. And Piper's like, yeah. What's that thing exactly? It's like, oh, well, you know, he's like, nah. Yeah, how he is, you know, the way he is. You, you could just tell with some guys. And, and that's when Piper just goes, you mean like me? And Wally's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm gay. You know, like the that, way. I mean, that's not like he's not trying to gotcha Wally. But no, but I think he is a little bit. I definitely he, think he's he a little does, bit. And that's when Wally, have this, Wally goes, he, oh, crap. I handled that really yeah, poorly. He's like, oh, man, I got to go. Look and at the time. takes off, you uh, know. And, and uh, like he does say, like he does have this great grin on his face when Wally's like, uh, I've got a meeting and yeah. he checks his, like literally checks his watch. It was totally a gotcha thing. got this look on his face. It but was yeah, totally a says, gotcha moment that a lot of like, look, I had gay friends that I didn't know were gay back in the day and it happened to me. And I was like, uh, blah, yeah, all right. Yes. Sorry. Sure, yeah, <laughs> you know? no, that's true. <laughs> and a straight uh, dummy like Wally probably didn't even think about it, but what a great way to do it in this very matter of fact just like this is what happened. You know, oh, you didn't. Pay, oh, oh, your your gaydar is that good? Did you know I was gay? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, this is also. I think this might also be the issue. The the comic that where I started to like form my opinion where the uh, of the Joker being like not a sexual being. Like well, the that's Joker the, does the Pied not, Piper. All but the Joker says does it. not concern himself with yeah. the needs and wants of regular human beings. Like, yeah, the Pied Piper. And, and this yeah, basically Piper says is like, like yeah, I don't no. think he's that kind of person that right. like needs any kind of you know yeah. sexual attention from anyone i think he's just whacked out but no this was really i i tend to make fun or just like have like really lame you know memories of this messenger lobes run but there was good stuff that happened in it definitely yeah. there was other stuff like what was the big fat guy the slug you know or whatever junk <laughs> junk sorry yes junk <laughs> But no, I'm giving this a buy it as well. And I think, I really do think that coming out was really well handled here. It was just matter of fact, I, yeah. two buddies talking to each other. Totally agree. The Flash, Scarlet Speedster for justice. Let's jump over to the Marvel side of things and talk about Captain Marvel, Volume 4, number 32. This is from Marvel. It was 2002 when it came out. This is written by Peter David. You're going to hear his name pop up a couple times here. With art by Jim Calafiore, here is your setup. Back in 2002, Carol Danvers was still Miss Marvel, and a new character named Genus Vell was Cap Marvel. Rick Jones had summoned Genus when he put on the Nega Bands, and you may have just heard me screaming about those on last week's Cover to Cover. When Rick would clang the bands together, he would change places with Genus, and superhero hijinks would ensue. At this point in the series, Moondragon, who is one of Drax's daughters, had come to Earth to help Rick slash Genus understand their powers and train Rick's ex-fiance, Marlo, who recently came into some powers of her own that allow her to kill people with her mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that I think they're actually married. I think Marlo is Rick's wife. They're separated at this point. So, well, but still married, though, I think. Uh, yes, but married, but separated, and they would later yeah. get divorced. But regardless. Well, that's because Rick looks like a date rapist. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Moon Dragon <laughs> is working with Marlo, teaching her martial arts to sharpen her mind and prevent her from killing anyone accidentally. During the training, the two find themselves in close quarters, and suddenly they embrace and kiss for Marvel's first lesbian kiss. There were two 
gay male kisses before this one, but technically this would be the third gay kiss pictured in Marvel Comics. I found what a year list. is this? 2000 what? This Seven? is 2002. 2002. And there's a list with a link there. Now, the first one on the list, I don't know if it counts because it was Gambit kissing a character that was a female that was actually a male. So I don't know if it's a gay kiss or not. Uh, fuzzy there. So this could be the second one. I don't know. I mean, did, Gam- did, did Gambit... Gambit uh, thought he was kissing a woman. So I don't oh, know. Gambit thought he was kissing a woman. Yeah. Okay. Up until this point, both Marlowe and Moondragon had only been in straight relationships, and things get further complicated when Rick, who's trying to put his relationship with Marlowe back together, whisks her off to a desert to a deserted jungle planet in the microverse right after she's kissed Moondragon. We also have Captain Marvel dealing with the return of the Magus, not Warlock's dad, but someone related to Adam Warlock, who I can't remember this time. It's not important. It is it is very bizarre and dumb that there are two characters named Magus and both of them are related to characters right. named Warlock. <laughs> yeah, like, guys, what are well, we like, doing? Well, like, stop that. <laughs> yeah, it's not fair. <laughs> Peter David's run on this Cap Marvel was oh, just- Oh, Courier. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I'm looking at this list. Oh. But yeah, Courier, I remember the Courier. I, I did not remember what that was. Peter David's run on this Captain Marvel comic was just excellent. He fleshed out these characters with all kinds of interpersonal stories, like Marlowe and Moondragon's relationship, for example. They actually start dating and move in together for a while before Marlowe realizes, I still love Rick and Moondragon. It's that classic losing your girl who thought she might be a lesbian to the straight guy because she wasn't. It happens, you know? Moondragon's relationship here paves the way for a later relationship with Phi Lavelle, a female version of Genus from a different universe that I love so much it kills she, me. <laughs> um, she is Genus Vell's sister. Well, from an alternate universe, yeah, yeah, but yeah. she is his sister. Yeah. Well, the the thing about the, the thing about the children of Marvel, other than Hulkling, who is like a legitimate child of of Marvel, uh, Genus and Phyla are both like weird clones, right. or right. some or kind of different thing. dimensional beings or something. Right. Yeah. While I remember Criss Cross's art on this run being more impressive than Calafiore's, I am a fan of Calafiore, and he does a good job here. There's uh, some very questionable design work on some of the characters here. They thought this, it was cool to make Rick look like one of those dudes from the Backstreet Boys with the close cut hair and the weird little shitty mustache and goatee. Uh, He looked like Joey Fatone, right? The fat one. Uh, I always think of him as, uh, there's one named AJ something. I always think of him as that guy. I don't know AJ, but like Starbucks has this weird like curly beard He has has Arby's curly fry sideburns. God, it's so weird. It's easy to forget that gay relationships aren't a new thing in comics, but it wasn't until the early 2000s that we actually got to see those relationships on the page. And, and but develop. isn't also like it's also so strange to consider like the third ever gay kiss didn't happen until 2002. That's which, what I'm saying. It's like, nuts. It's it's just nuts. And this was a time where like people were paying attention. We we're like, oh, like it was a big thing. Yeah. Like the first time Elvis shook his hips I and they're mean, like, it's the end of America. It's true. <laughs> you know? I mean, and like I, I think that it, I think that if we were to like, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not recommending it. In fact, I would advise against it. But I think that if we were to peer back through the chronoscope into the um into the uh, 20 years past uh 
we would be horrified yeah. by some of the things we said and did. Oh, for sure. And, and without even considering ourselves bigoted, we right. were like, no, I think gay people are great. F word this. Sure. Gay no, that. I mean, yeah. Like, like I'm not like, going to, I'll be the first to admit, like I grew up making gay jokes and stuff. Cause that's what dorks did back in the day. We didn't yeah, know any like, better, you know? It, and it's just, it's, it's, we're not that, it's just like when you remember, Hey, guess what? 50 years ago, it wasn't legal for two a black person to marry a white person. Sure. And but 20 years ago, say, it was still cool to make gay jokes. But I will say comics moved slow. This stuff was already happening comics in Hollywood. Moved it was slow, already happening on TV. So did insecure nerds. Comics was very prissy about this stuff, and there was a lot of insecure butthurt white boys when this shit you, was happening. You are absolutely right. Now, didn't bother me. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah, it's great. Peter David's run on Captain Marvel is fantastic. And, uh, you know, we talked about this uh, a while back about how he, like, fought to keep the book going. It got relaunched once or twice. Um, a fun fact, the fourth gay kiss ever in comics was, or at least in Marvel comics, was also in the pages of Captain Marvel by Peter David. Yeah. Uh, but this time it was Rick Jones and some other guy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's so well done. And Peter David has always uh, had a a very considerate and thoughtful approach to issues, serious issues like this. Right. And he's from a straight white guy, right? Allied. This, yeah. You know? And like, yeah, like to him, like Peter David, uh, David had no, like there was nothing like titillating or like shock factor. There was nothing about that no. kiss between Moon Dragon and Marlowe where he's like, I'm going to move some books. No, Peter David just like legitimately, legitimately dealt with that stuff as though it were no big deal because it's not and uh or it shouldn't have been and um yeah it's terrible fashion choices aside yeah it's <laughs> really bad this is a buy it <laughs> captain marvel is is so good go back and look at the early 2000s though even movies they were still getting no, over the 90s i mean uh, look look Clothes everybody was <laughs> everybody everybody was uh all the way up bendis's butt about the ultimate universe and let me tell you what you look at some of those comics back then and those fashions are oh, yeah. terrible oh. <laughs> From the microverse to the far, far future of a doomed Earth, it's Legion of Superheroes number 31, a romance comic Man, from DC Comics. I'm mad at you for making me read this one. You're honest. mad about it? Oh, my God. All right. Uh, the year was 1992, so bear that in mind. This was 10 years prior to the Captain Marvel issue we just reviewed and only one year after the Flash issue. It's written by Keith Giffen and Tom and Mary Beerbaum, with art by Colleen Doran and the legendary Kurt Swan. I'm so proud of him for drawing part of this issue. Uh, so your synopsis is thus. Element lad Jan Ara is his name and Siobhan Aaron discover the true nature of their relationship. Meanwhile, in space above the planet, the UP fleet that is United Planets makes a startling discovery. This is part seven of Terra Mosaic. You do not need to worry about that. Uh, though I will touch on it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and if you're just jumping in, woo, you're not going to know uh, what's like, happening. <laughs> listen, the re like, we are reviewing this for a specific reason. I get not, it. I like, but yeah, okay. So this is from the fabled five years later era of the Legion of Superheroes when all of the teen heroes we had been reading for about 30 years 
jump forward in time and become adults. Uh, now pay no attention to the fact that they had already kind of aged up to adulthood years prior. That is not important. <laughs> what is important is that this is the issue where we learn that Siobhan Aaron, longtime science police liaison to the Legion, is actually Sean Aaron, a transgender woman who left her male body behind thanks to the future drug Profem. Unfortunately, the Dominator takeover of Earth makes it impossible for Siobhan to get the medication she needs, and her male genetics are starting to painfully reassert themselves. Now, you might be wondering, Joe Patrick, what's this about a Dominator takeover of Earth? This is part seven of Terra Mosaic, need I remind you. <laughs> but at this point in time, the Dominators have conquered Earth, and so things are bad. Uh, this is, of course, the time when she is found by her longtime love, Element Lad. And the two of them are forced to confront hard truths about their relationship. There's a lot of other stuff going on here. Yeah. I'm sure Matt's going to talk about oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most importantly, there is a deadly accident caused by Element Lad's young clone, which is a very long story. Don't worry about it. It is not important. Okay, good. Because it's, it's, not, it's not important. It's not important for the purposes of this review. Gotcha. Like normally, normally I would not say, yeah, this issue seven completely out of context is a real winner, but it, we're reading it for a different reason. Writers Keith Given and Tom and Mary Beerbaum tackled issues of gender identity in comics before I even had a name for such a thing. It's certainly a strange way to approach it with clones and alien invaders and magic sex change pills. But from my cisgendered perspective, the writers handle the topic with the utmost care and respect. And they contrast. Here's where here's where the clone stuff comes in. Uh, they contrast Siobhan's personal struggle against the young element lads tragic actions, which I think is very well handled. And in the end, the adult element lad, the OG element lad, confesses that his love for Siobhan was despite her gender, not because of it. But that isn't always enough for a happy ending. The issue features lovely emotional art by Colleen Doran and, again, the legendary Kurt Swan. I wonder if he knew what he was drawing because he really only drew the clone stuff. <laughs> but I hope he knew and that he was cool with it. But much like Captain Marvel, the Legion of Superheroes is full of criminal futuristic fashions. Like, oh, yeah. what What oh, are these God. people wearing? <laughs> yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Like, Element Lad wears some future, like, fishing vest. Like, he's on a future fishing show or something. Better It's than just it's like, yo, God, yeah. It's it's just, it's it's a nightmare. This volume of Legion of Superheroes is the one that grew up along with its audience. And issue 31 took a hard look at love and gender fluidity during a time in pop culture where that sort of thing was far from common, especially in mainstream comic books. For that reason, I'm giving this a buy it. Okay, I 100% agree. They handled that so well. And that that was not my issue. I thought that was handled really well. Your, and I was, understand your issue, and you're, you're going to be 100% doing justified. this in 1992, super ballsy to do something like this in 1992. No question. And I guarantee, that I bet the following issue's letter page is like, what the hell, man, what are you doing? I'm sure. There's a bunch of bitching and, and complaining. Yeah. My problem yeah. is, I have enough trouble following the Legion 
on a good day. On a good day. On the beginning yes. of the story. On part I, one. Right? I understand. And, and yeah. when you put a shoe seven in front of me and they're like, it's Element Lad. And he's telling a story about Element Lad, baby. You know, and like, oh, but there's also baby <laughs> versions of like the other <laughs> characters who are meeting the characters and they're dressed differently. And oh, I guess they know that Element Lad. But who, which one am I following yeah. here? Like, I could not keep up. I, I just had no idea who I was reading, where it was going. I understood. Well, I mean, the young one looks young. He's I, wearing a costume and not a weird trench coat. I get it, but then the old one starts talking about the young one. <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> I just, oh my God. It was almost too much. I very much agree. They handled the the transgender aspect of this very, very well and absolutely applaud them for that. And I'm giving it a buy it for that alone because- other than that, I have no clue what happened in this comic book. No, I mean, that's like- uh, I do. I would, so, did come away with this. I hate the Dominators. I don't think they're very well designed. And I don't understand why the Legion can't just blow the damn Dominators up. There's even a scene where Element Lad, like, goes nuts and, like, just like, screw you, Dominators. And they're like, ah, we're dying. And then another uh, Legion member is like, why would you do that? You're a good guy. They took well, over the Earth. I mean, That's most why of them do it. It's complicated. So most of the Legion ad, uh, is not on Earth at this point. Most of the adult Legion. Yeah, well, it sure seems like Element Lad could have just do, like that's how the Dominators, the dominators can, anytime he wants. It's it's again like okay, so Joe's Uncle Joe story time. Editor's note: If you want to hear this outtake, you got to head to our YouTube channel where Uncle Joe does lay out some uh, Legion clone info. Never quite tells Matt why they can't just kick the crap out of the Dominators, though. I'm going to jump back to the 2000s and back to my man Peter David here with X Factor number 45. It's from Marvel 2009. It's written by Peter David with art by Marco Santucci and Valentin Delandro. Here's your setup. 80 years from the 2009 future, Jamie Madrox was assigned by a much older Scott Summers, just stick with me here, who sends Madrox to figure out why key members of the Summers Rebellion have been disappearing. So... There is a time paradox going on where Madrox was sent in the future to try and stop something in the past that will trigger future events. It's very days of future past stuff, but I can't remember what the whole deal was. Meanwhile, in the past, Shatterstar has been possessed by a mutant named Cortex who is working for the people spying on Madrox in the future. Still with me? Okay. And he is attacking another Madrox duplicate in the past with Strong Guy and Richter. There's an aging Dr. Doom here, a red-skinned Summer's daughter named Ruby, and some head-twisting time travel stuff, but this is the middle of a storyline, just like Joe said in the last one. My fault for just trying to jump back in, okay? Up to this point, Richter and Shatterstar were definitely close friends, and there was definitely some flirting here and there. Richter had been dropping all kinds of hints about his sexuality, too. He had lost his powers after M-Day, and Quicksilver was in the picture, who was still kind of evil at this point, promising to help mutants get their powers back. Oh, that's, yes. This is after House of M, yeah. where Quicksilver is, like, 
he has stolen the Terrigen mists yes. and he's like going around and he thinks saying, he's gonna, I can help you get your powers back. Yeah, no, So thanks to uh, GayLeague.com for the research on this one. But there's a there's a great scene where they had it all quoted out. Jamie asks about Richter's involvement with Quicksilver. Richter replies, nothing's up. Dude's got a lot of interesting stuff to say. That's all. Keeps talking about giving me, giving me my powers back. Not sure if that's on the level, though. So I've been, you know, feeling him out. No big deal. It's not like I'm sleeping with him, dot, dot, dot anymore. Richter assures Jamie it was a joke, not because of the guy-guy thing, but because Quicksilver is semi-evil. Jamie goes on to bemoan the morale of the X-Factor members. Richter comments how they've put the fun and dysfunctional haha, and reminds him that at least Pietro and him aren't an item. Jamie comments, I mean, God knows you wouldn't want to make Shatterstar jealous. And Richter does a spit take in Jamie's face. So, like, it's all there. They've been giving this stuff to us for a while. Yeah, yeah. Peter David had definitely been teasing fans with the idea of the relationship for several issues. But it's not until this issue when Shatterstar snaps out of his mind control and kisses Richter that we knew for sure. It is a great last page that confirmed what a lot of readers already knew and were hoping to see. I know I said it in my Captain Marvel review, but Peter David has a rare talent for taking C-list characters like this whole X-Factor team and injecting them with just enough personality to make you fall in love with them. I got to go back and read this whole run again because it was so great. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, but, I mean, Peter David's run that started with Madrox, the Madrox miniseries, yeah. and, and uh, it, it's it's really, really well done, and it's a different spin on, on all of these characters. For sure. Uh, that uh, is just so well handled. Shatterstar and Richter have had a very deep and abiding friendship since the 90s, and I don't remember or, or I don't know or I don't know if I've I, if I heard um, whether or not the writers at that time, uh, you know, Jeff Loeb and John Francis Moore had any intention of going in this direction, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. So according um, to what I was reading on the uh, some of the stuff I read, th- a lot of this was Peter David and Peter David had picked up on this stuff. Yeah. And sort of asked those guys and they were like, uh, I don't know, maybe, sure. <laughs> you okay, know, like, yeah. Like no so one was against go. it, like, but they were like, it, it, I don't think it was in their head. They weren't that, thinking about it in those terms. Right, right. Yeah. Um, the art is great. Uh, the the storytelling is excellent. Uh, this is a huge buy it. Like you should definitely check this out. And if you're interested in it, like if you if you like what you read in this issue, go back and check out the other issues. Like, like I remember really liking the whole thing where – Madrox has to he goes to the future with uh, and he has a there's a grown up Layla Miller. And, oh, it's a great and, and, story. I just yeah, can't like remember. All, what and then was they, they come back in time and he's got a bishop tattoo in his eye now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah wow. <laughs> it was great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like this is Shatterstar we're talking about, who is like a Rob Leefield take on basically long shot. It was like, well, I, I want to make long shot a badass. And they were like, no, that's not long shot. And he's like, all right, here's my character. He's just got a bunch of pouches and a weird yeah, head right. cushion mask and, and four swords. Yeah, he's like a sparring. Like, a sparring how does he hold four swords? He's like, ha they're just two handles, but they've got two swords on each. Hand. Like, shut up, bro. <laughs> just stop. Oh, okay. and look, if you think that, the, if you think that the double bladed sword is bad, <laughs> He's still got double-bladed sword, but this time the blades come out of his sleeves. That's right, baby. <laughs> it's, ugh, I don't I don't even understand how that works. But yeah, huge buy it. 
traveling back from the far future to the uh, kind of a little bit future, but still in the past, at least for us. It's Young Avengers number nine from Marvel Comics. Don't worry, it's not confusing. This is from 2013, so yes, nine years ago. It was written by Kieran Gillen with art by Jamie McKelvey, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry for what I'm about to read. This is your solicit, yeah. courtesy of DiamondComics.com. We wanted to just write screaming, screaming, screaming for this solicit, but we are told we need boring old facts, sad face. Anyway, Oof. the Young Avengers road trip across the multiverse goes proper crazy as it reaches its destination. Its destination is mainly excitement and heartbreak. Several Young Avengers decide what to do next. The question is whether what they do next is to be Young Avengers, dot, dot, dot. Honestly. Screaming. So Tumblr, bro. <laughs> right? It is just so Tumblr. Yeah, it's so Tumblr. Uh, I know people really love this run of Young Avengers, but I fell off about halfway through. I'm too old, I'm too cranky, and I'm too uncool for a book this precious. Yeah. I'm just not the target audience for what uh, uh, Kieran Gillen is doing here with his writing, and that is fine, but he is dealing with an established cast of great characters, plus the additions of Kid Loki, Prodigy, America Chavez, and Marvel Boy. McKelvey's art is absolutely brilliant throughout, especially during the limbo scenes where the panel borders themselves are weaponized by the villainous mother. Gillen's script is, as I said, precious, but it is incredibly smart and full of genuine emotion. The high point of this issue is the scene where Prodigy, uh, Prodigy, if you don't recall, is a character that got his start in the new X-Men, not the Grant Morrison new X-Men. Oh, that's right. But the, um, you know what? It was, uh, it was the, it was the modern new mutants at first. New X-Men Mutant Academy. It was, yeah, it was, it was new mutants and then they changed it to new X-Men, uh, and then it was new X-Men Academy X and they put X-23 in there. But anyway, that's where Prodigy comes from. He confesses the truth about his bisexuality to Hulkling following an ill-advised kiss at the end of the previous issue. It's a very poignant scene featuring a character whose powers more or less forced him to face the truth about himself. Uh, Again, if you don't know, Prodigy's whole deal was that he was a mimic. And so if you are in the room and you're really great at tetherball and Prodigy comes into the room, he is also really great at tetherball, which is great if you are on a tetherball team. But if you are also a terrifying uh, drug addict, or whatever. What if you like, ate a huge chili dog for lunch? If you ate a huge chili dog <laughs> right? for lunch and you really and have to go to the bathroom, <laughs> then Prodigy is like, oh man, not good. So like Pro- Prodigy doesn't just mimic powers and and um, intelligence and memories and stuff. He mimics everything that you are. Yeah, he, and re- so he, he says has, out loud, I get all, it turns out I get all he, of it. Right. And so he has lived a li- he has lived a life with these powers where he had to sort out who he was despite what he was feeling from everybody he encountered. It's it's a, an amazing scene. All that said, this is smack dab in the middle of a story arc. Uh, I already gave you all the usual caveats. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'm not nearly cool enough for Young Avengers number nine, but that did not stop me from really enjoying it. Uh, screaming, screaming, screaming. This is a buy it. I forgot how Kierkegaard Gillen wrote this. It's and just, it's, 
It's Gillen is one of those writers that like the guy is incredible. And we, and one of the most intelligent writers working in comics today, this is earlier in his career and they hired him to do a thing. And that thing was write Cool kids in 2013. And they just like ooze with like all this, like internet phrases and you know, bullshit. And, like, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, Oh God, it's hard to read, but they were doing a thing back then. They handle the prodigy thing very well, and it's very cool. It's very. Cool. I mean, and that is the way that it's is, handled. I, I should say that, like, that's not what the whole book is. No, 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 the, no. So, the solicit is especially bad, right? But there is definitely some. There's some of that, though. Yeah, <laughs> some twenty odd whatever jargon in here from kids that I I could barely handle. But it's like I it's really a, it's like, a, like honest a blog. Am I right? Yeah. What they did some real Diablo Cody shit. What they did to Prodigy, who was a character I never really cared about, is very cool here, and it gives him like some real ramifications to mutant powers, which they don't usually do. We just like. A lot of people come up with a new mutant, like, this mutant does this. And we go, all right, neat. This mutant does this. And now we have mutants that do everything. Well, what does that actually do to them? What does that right. actually do to their personality? How does right. that affect them? And I like that Gillen looked at it that way. And I don't know, it may, be, it may have even turned some people off thinking about it like that. I don't know. I thought it was very interesting. I'm giving it a buy. Let's jump over to DC and talk about a real power couple, Harley and Ivy. It's one that everyone has wanted for years and years and years and years, and they finally got it in the pages of Harley Quinn, Zero, from DC. This right. is written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti with art by a ton of people. Connor, Becky Cloonan, Tony Daniel, Stephanie Rue, Dan Panosian. You'll hear more about it here in a minute. It was 2014, and the new 52 was in full swing. While a lot of characters got complete makeovers and new status quos, Harley seemed to gain some focus, actually, thanks to this Connor and Palmiati series. Up to this point, DC had not definitively said that Harley and Ivy were dating. Instead, it had been a very slow burn since the characters first met in the Harley and Ivy episode of Batman the Animated Series way back in 1993. In that episode, the Joker had just jumped Harley again, and she was out to prove she was good enough for her pudding again. And Ivy gently suggests Harley was good enough on her own. And from there, the slow journey to their romantic relationship begins. This series would be the first to show the two actually dating, although not monogamous. The story is a tongue-in-cheek mashup of Connor and Palmiani brainstorming all the different new 52 takes they could pursue for the character, but the one constant is Harley's rejection of the Joker. We've gone on record discussing the hits and misses of the infamous New 52. There's a whole year of reviews in our episodes if you want to relive the magic. But one bright spot was not only this series, but the focus Connor and Palmiati brought to Harley Quinn's character. Everything that made the character a huge star didn't necessarily start here, but this series set Harley on the road to the relatively self-sufficient queer character that she is today. This issue is one of the most meta, inside comics, self-referential stuff that actually lands, unlike some of the few we've talked about recently, <laughs> that I've ever read. And it's because of Jimmy and Amanda's personality, their relationship, and talent. 
Seeing all the ridiculous takes on Harley by the different artists is great. She's a giant robot. She's riding a dolphin and punching pirates. Sam Keith even shows up for some existential weird Harley psychology stuff, all of which Harley is aware of and having a full conversation with the creators. She's not afraid to poke fun at some of their styles, some of their problems hitting their monthly schedule, and their choices of skimpy clothing. The shtick holds up really well, even eight years later, and it really makes me want to revisit this series. I I chose this comic, even though it's just one line, Harley specifically does finally call Ivy her hot girlfriend for the first time, making these two an official queer couple, and it only took 21 years. But DC got there. I'm giving this a buy it, and this is coming from a guy that does not care about Harley Quinn as a character. That's why it surprised me so much that you you chose this issue. Um, like, so spoilers for uh, slight spoilers for my next book, which is the DC Pride one shot from 2022. Um, there's a Harley and Ivy story, uh, and so uh, that took place. What year did this one come out? 2014, you said. Yes. Um, so eight years later. There is a story where Harley and Ivy, like, I believe for the very first time, because they're kind of shocked about it, profess their love for one another. Right. Which is a long, it's a long way from like eight years ago, even five years ago. If you had said, if you had asked me, are Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy a couple? I probably would not have said yes. I probably would have said like, well, you know, they kind of like, you know, they, they're, they're on again, off again, whatever, oh, whatever, yeah. but well, it's it was not Harley's like they're fault. dating. It right? was Harley's fault because Harley is crazy. I mean, that, and that's the thing. And that's the interesting part of their relationship. Harley is a crazy person. I'm not, that's not to say that Ivy is sane by any means, but Poison Ivy's got her shit way more together than Harley Quinn. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, but I mean, and it's just that I also think that uh, the relationship was purposefully ill-defined by DC Yes, because Harley Quinn uh, and to a lesser extent, Poison Ivy are characters that definitely sell copies to frustrated dudes that just want to look at a comic with a girl in her hot pants. Yeah, but Lord knows right? uh, they the frustrated dudes like that don't like lesbians, Joe. <laughs> no, I look, man, especially I get when it. they're this hot. You know, they just get out of here. Listen, yeah. <laughs> if you don't think that there are dudes out there that are mad at the idea that they don't have a chance because Harley's a lesbian, then I got a bridge to sell you in Manhattan. Now, see, you're thinking about if they put her in high tops or something like the Eminem. Oh, no, not that kind of lesbian. Um, But, I mean, so I I do think that DC, you know, uh, through marketing or whatever, purposefully kind of obfuscated the idea that Harley and Ivy were at the very least bisexual or whatever. And you know what? I, I could be wrong about that. Again, I never read the Harley Quinn series with regularity, but that's the impression that I got from the outside. And then I read that Pride one shot where uh, the whole plot resolves because Harley and Ivy confess that they love one another and uh, it breaks through whatever like weird mind control is going on. And it's like it's one of the sweetest comics I've read in a long time. And uh, like I just like I can't believe that this is the trajectory these characters have taken. And it's so cool. Well, and what's uh, really cool is the fans wanted it. The fans yeah. have wanted it oh, for, for sure. so Absolutely. long. Yeah. And like and and creators kept going, all right, I'm going to push it a little further. I'll push it a little further. And DC was like, ah, I, I think that's enough. Thanks. You yeah. know? <laughs> 
I know that you don't really care for the Harley Quinn cartoon necessarily, and you didn't like the Birds of Prey movie, but like I would, I would like nothing more than for the if they make another Harley Quinn movie for them to just be like, yeah, Poison Ivy, yeah, lean into it, and and don't even don't even worry about bringing a dude into the mix. Like I, it's so cool. This is a buy it. It's very fun uh, to actually get on, back on track and talk about the comic. It's so much fun. All of the art contributors are excellent, and they are in on it, and they are having a blast. And they're making fun the of the 52, which is the, great. The, the, Adam, the, the Adam Hughes issue where it's like all pencil sketches because the dude can't get it done, yeah. except for like the last panel where it's Harley Quinn, like beautifully, lushly painted. Right. It's like very funny. And, and there's a page by Darwin Cook, which made me sad. It's like, it's this is so good. Buy it. But cheer up, kid. Let's play with the boys on our terms. Well, as I just mentioned, my last review is of the DC Pride one-shot, DC Pride 2022 from DC Comics. It's written and drawn by Various. Here's your solicit, where they just go on to tell you who writes it. Written by Devin Grayson, Stephanie Williams, Travis G. Moore, Alyssa Wong, and others. Art by Nick Robles, or Robles, Brittany Williams, it's Robles, Evan Cagle, W. Scott Forbes, and others. They just say various a different way. DC's 2022 celebration kicks off with more stories, more characters, and more pride than ever before. This anthology features 13 all-new stories spotlighting LGBTQIA plus fan favorites, new and old, including... Superman, John Kent, Nubia, Tim Drake, Kid Quick, Aquaman, Jackson Hyde, Green Lantern, Joe Mullen, Alyssa Yo, The Ray, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Batwoman, and more. The special also includes a multiversity, multiversity, a multiversity teen justice kickoff story spotlighting the aforementioned Kid Quick and written by the miniseries team Danny Lore and Ivan Cohen. An introduction by activist actress and real life superhero Nicole Maines that will include a teaser for uh, her upcoming dreamer project pinups by P Craig Russell, JJ Kirby and more. Holy crap. You guys. Good Lord. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Nicole Maines plays dreamer. Uh, she played dreamer on Supergirl. Nicole Maines is the, I believe the first ever transgender actress to portray a superhero on television. Okay. And uh, they're bringing Dreamer to comics, which is rad. Longtime listeners of THN have invented a number of show-themed drinking games over the years. One of my favorites is the one where you drink whenever one of us says, fair enough. <laughs> I feel that you could also play one around the chance that we'll talk about how, quote, anthologies are a mixed bag, end quote. That said, another drinking game, the DC Pride 2022 anthology is pretty outstanding almost from start to finish. This mammoth tome weighs in at over 100 pages, like legitimate. It just kept going. And it features a baker's dozen of stories and a huge cast of characters. My personal favorites were the Nubia and Big Barda story by Stephanie Williams and good. Megan Hetrick, uh, where she becomes a fill-in professional wrestler in like a, a, a glow situation. It was awesome. 
the Batwoman story uh, by Stephanie Phillips, a different Stephanie, and Samantha Dodge, which I believe does a bit of retconning to put a more positive spin on Kate Kane's relationship with her father. It takes place during the Don't Ask, Don't Tell era of the military. And if I recall, when Batwoman was first introduced and they revealed that she had been discharged from the military for uh, breaking the Don't Ask, Don't Tell code, her dad was not cool about it. Right? I don't Am I think, wrong about that? I don't think that's correct. I don't think. No, I think Dad was okay with it, and that's why no, he because helped. she and her father were not on good terms. But when that, she was first for, that was for that was for different reasons. That All was, right. Well, then yeah. I then I stand corrected if that's the case. But either way, I was glad that they had like a, a positive father daughter relationship. Uh, there's also a black, white, and green far sector gumshoe story by Teeny Howard and Evan Evan Cagle. As far as this week's cosmic long box theme is concerned, the Connor Hawk story by Rose Stein and Ted Brandt is what caught my eye as it finally makes canon the decades-old rumors of Connor's asexuality. The creators do an excellent job explaining the concept of asexuality to folks like me who might not exactly know how it fits into the sexual identity mix. Like, I knew, like, I know what asexual means, like... Like Morrissey. Sure. Um, Like, I know what the word means. The real life asexual creators do an excellent job explaining the concept of asexuality to dummies like myself who might know what asexuality means technically, but they might not exactly know how it fits into the sexual identity mix. The star of the show, however, is the incredibly moving story of Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy's life as a young gay man in 1980s Hollywood. Conroy's story is brilliantly told by the man himself with excellent art by Jay Bone, or as we like to call him, Jabone. Jabone. It made me tear up. I will not lie. And I believe the reason that this comic does is, is, you know, how normally they're like, it's 80 pages or it's 100 pages. This one's like 112 pages. And I think that's because the Kevin Conroy story is full length. It is a full length comic book yeah. at the end of this comic book. Yeah. I get it. Anthologies aren't always great. But not only is DC Pride 2022 an exception to the rule, but it is an important emotional read as well. I loved it. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Yeah, I feel like DC handled this whole thing really, really well. And that's not to say like Marvel did something similar with the Marvel voices and whatnot. And it was fine. Yeah, Marvel does their own thing. It, yeah. was, it was fine. Don't get me wrong. This was great. It was just really well handled. I, like, and I will say this, like. The one story that I was like, that wasn't so good, was the one that they specifically hyped up in the solicit about, like, spinning off into its own miniseries, Teen Justice. Yeah, I don't care about- I thought about the Teen Justice story was okay at best. I don't care about Teen Justice at all, and I don't need any more yeah, of that, it, you know, but regardless, yeah. I, I thought the way that, specifically the Connor Hawk story, because uh, I think it's so really good. easy, and I don't know, I'm not- part of the community but i do think it can be very easy for people that are asexual to just feel completely left out of this community altogether because yeah. like the character says what a lot of us don't understand who aren't in that realm how sexualized love is in the rest of the world it always right. whether yes. it's gay or straight it is always hyper sexualized and him dealing with a character that is like 
I can't remember. It was like the maestro or something or the music maestro or he was. Yeah. Like, um, he was like a something super, like, yeah. Like a, 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 like a Batman brave and the bold cartoon. Like, yeah. Like a, like a conductor. Like the, super the music villain. meister or yeah. something. Yeah. Is his and, name. and he's yeah. like shooting music and Connor Hawk has just plugged his ears, you know? And he's like, I just yeah. have to, and he's talking about how I just kind of have to tune a lot of this out because I don't live yeah. in that same world. And it's a great metaphor for him fighting this out loud, ridiculous, you know, like yeah. villain. And it's really well handled. And it's the art in that, that story is great as well. When you sat down to yeah. say, I'm going to tell a story about Connor Hawk being asexual. I don't even know where I would go with it. And I thought they just nailed it. The other stories were also fantastic. This was really well handled. I'm giving this a massive buy it. The Kevin Conroy thing is a must read. It's just it a is mu- a must, a must read, one hundred. But like, it, it's the sort of thing that I think that DC should just like put out for free on their website. Yeah, just it, like it, put it's it just on a their must website. Read. Let's get back to the adventures of the gay X folks over an uncanny X Men. 600. There's a bunch of them. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, the gay, the gay X-Men. If this is from Marvel. It was 2015. Your creative team, Brian Michael Bendis was writing at the time with art by Sarah Pacelli and various. Here's your, you know, seven. it's got to be held, handled with like the utmost delicacy if it's written by Brian Michael Bendis. Oh yeah. I think we're going to disagree about this one. <laughs> no, I know. I, I'm kidding because it's handled much better than the uh, coming out issue. Yeah. Well, and much better than I remembered as well. This was the final issue of BMB's X-Men run, and it's a nice way to tie up a lot of his plot lines, the main being the younger X-Men that Hank McCoy, the Beast, plucked from time and brought to the present to remind the X-Men of who they used to be. The main event is the team confronting Hank, who had been the main force between a lot of crazy the main force behind a lot of crazy X stuff at this point. And kidnapping the ex-kids was probably the least controversial. (laughs) One of the ramifications of the young X-Men showing up was Bobby coming out of the closet as gay with a little help from young Jean Grey. Help is probably the nice way to put it. Young Bobby decides if he's going to stay in this timeline, then he wants to be himself since this modern time seems a little more accepting of gay lifestyles. The only problem is adult Bobby has not come out or even fully admitted to himself that he's gay. Bendis does a really nice job, actually, of having adult Bobby explain why he's chosen not to come out yet in a conversation with his younger self and younger Gene, and it makes a lot of sense. Looking at the Bendis run as a whole, I remember liking it for the most part. The most egregious parts were definitely how he handled modern Scott Summers and Hank McCoy, though. It was a cool idea to see Scott finally grow a pair and take matters into his own hands, but then he's possessed by the Phoenix Force and he kills Professor X. And and here, Scott summons a huge group of mutants at the Capitol to discuss his recent call for revolution. I don't have any issues with Bobby being gay or the way it was handled here. There really wasn't anything about Bobby's character in the past that screamed hetero. I can't even remember him having romances with women, honestly. No, he did. And in fact, I'd say that it it, it could be like if you want to look back and, and look at it through a certain at a certain angle, like Bobby's constant like female trouble 
could have been like, oh, this is a guy trying too hard. Yeah, yeah. He's and trying too hard to pass for straight or convince himself that he's straight. For sure. Or and yeah. or if he, maybe he was straight at the time and that's how he was identifying, you know? And just because he was. What are you saying, Matt? Are you saying he chose to be gay? No, I'm saying like he was identifying as straight I, I'm at the kidding. time. No, I'm, right? get, I'm kidding. And I'm kidding. just because he did date women in the past just means he was trying to be straight but secretly knew he was gay the whole time. Yeah, he was, you know? No, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I would have liked to have seen Colossus come out as gay. I think it would have made a lot more sense. You know what? Ultimate Colossus is gay. Yes. And th- that was something that they did not try. They, it like, would have made so it. much more sense because it can constantly like hinting that Kitty is bisexual and Peter's in love with Kitty and he can't quite have Kitty. And also- yeah, he can't quite have Kitty because when they met, she was 13. Well, here's the other thing. You know, that's another reason why we'd have to stay away. No, I cannot. She's too young or whatever. And- He's gay. <laughs> just, just come out. He's gay. Nice. Oh, they expect uh, me to be uh, strong boy, Russian. Boy, you know. boy, boy, shmoy. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you say that phrase. There is a ton of great art in this book, all of which were artists that worked on parts of the Bendis run, I think. And it just looks great. This wasn't a bad ending to the Bendis run. It did remind me of some of the bad places these characters got stuck in. I would argue Beast is still dealing with this crap today. (laughs) Uh, Boy. But this was a nice way. I agree. When young Iceman is outed by Jean Grey in this run, like Jean was having, was still getting used to her power. She's very powerful. And she like, basically it walks up to him. She's like, you're gay. And he's like, whoa, what? Hey, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I think that that was a disrespectful kind of uh, moment. Um, But uh, like, well, let me finish my thought here. Yeah, please. Okay. Like they frame it in a way where Jean is like, this is happening to her with all kinds of stuff. And it just happened. And a lot of people didn't take it really well. I think Bendis makes up for it in this issue where he sees, he portrays young Bobby as saying, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be me. All right, dude. So me being me might mess with you being you. Do you have a problem with that? Yeah. And older Bobby's like, you know what? For a long time, yes, I had a real problem with it because if I'm going to be a mutant and I'm going to be a freedom fighter, I'm already the most controversial thing in the world. Can I just have this <laughs> yeah. one thing that right. I don't yeah, have like, to share? And I just thought I, it was really, I really, I well really handled. liked that he like. There's this exasperated moment where he's like, "Man, young me cannot be more put together than I am," <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, it's just like you cannot like that's not fair and. <laughs> I, I agree. And like, I mean, I don't know what they were so worried about because young angel had cosmic fire wings. Sure. And nobody seemed too concerned about how he was going to go back to being normal angel. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Bendis' run, a lot of ups and downs, but all yeah. in all, I enjoyed it. And I thought this was a good end to it. Like, look on, on balance. I think Bendis' run is fun. I think it's, uh, look, I think that at the time it was so different and and interesting that like oh yeah revolutionary cyclops but it's a bad it's a bad move for the character yeah. like psych, that that that's not cyclops they okay? just took you, it a what little, you've done is they took it a little too far yeah. that's all the, all we need what to you, see is like cyclops shows a little backbone and we go whoa right we don't it didn't need to go as far as it did right like what you've done is create a new character yeah like essentially uh, and so yeah and you know we can we can debate that till the cows can come home that's not what we're talking about um and that issue that earlier on in the run of, of New X-Men where Gene just like blurts out to Bobby that he's gay and, and knee jerk reaction is like, 
that's very uncool. And I think maybe now that I'm thinking about it and looking back at it, and now I've, I'm seeing the resolution again of that, I think the fact that it was an a, a, an uncool thing for Gene to do is kind of the whole point. Yeah. And like, so if you know your X-Men history, um, Jean Grey, her telepathic powers were suppressed by Professor Xavier. Right. Because they were causing her a lot of problems. Like, she couldn't shut them off. It was it, it was bad. Yeah, it's like and when so, Daredevil freaks out and he's like, oh, I can hear everything, yeah. you know? The time from which this gene comes from, she's only used to having telekinesis. And suddenly she's like, oh, man, I've got telepathic powers and adult Jean Grey and Emma are there to, like, help her out. And yeah, it's because like, Professor X is not here to help right. her, basically. And it's like, oh. And so, yeah, she's bumbling through being a baby telepath. Right. And, you know, at the at least she takes her friend aside before she does it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a huge buy it. It's, it's a very well done issue by a, uh, a, a great roster of creators. And yeah, like it's like Sarah Pacelli was on the book. I think David Marquez, uh, Mahmoud Asrar, like mm-hmm. these are guys that worked on Bendis's run, uh, from when he started all new X-Men. And I gotta say um, a final thought on yeah. this, cause we've talked about it way too long. I have we to have. say we, we accuse Brian Michael Bendis of making everybody sound the same in his comic books. They're all very they're all very witty, and they all sound like Brian Michael Bendis talking. I think the one time it really worked was on this X run. Like I buy all the X Men talking like this. They don't all sound like Brian Michael Bendis when he does with the Avengers. Not so much. Doesn't work so well. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It, there's there's the Spider Man. And then there's everybody else, yeah. right, on the Avengers. Right. It's like the guy that makes the jokes and then the people that are serious right. about it. Uh, on the X-Men, I thought that his X-Men all sounded like individual characters. Yeah, and they, all sound, and, the, and the X-Men, they are snarky people. That's what they do. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the comic books we discussed. To give us your thoughts, Joe, before we leave the parade and head to the after party, we need to pick one of these books that stood out to join the THN permanent collection. Which of these comics are you bagging and boarding? Oh, that one. That's easy. It's DC Pride 2022. Uh, Like far and away, like as as a complete read, a very long and satisfying read. It's so good. It's so, so good. Fair. I think I got to go back to the Captain Marvel issue that I that I picked out because the time because when what was happening at the time in comics I think what they did was really brave and it was a throwaway thing it was totally normal it was a deal with it kind of moment that we needed in comics at that time it was the first lesbian kiss and it was not something that they oh you're not going to believe what happens in the next issue of Captain like they just did it they just did it they put it out there it was no no bullshit was what it was and I think it's brave as hell for Peter David to do it so I'm giving it to Captain Marvel uh, you know it's alright You, I know that you really wanted to pick Legion of Superheroes but you were too yeah, sure yeah I, really right. I really did I really did I get it it's alright <laughs> now that we've stood outside in the scorching heat shirtless drinking massive cocktails it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to rehydrate and treat our sunburns with a dip in the THN back to tank Matt while we bob up and down in the protein bath, why don't we hit these nerds with our must-read picks for next Wednesday, June 29th. My pick for next week is Transformers, The Fate of Cybertron. It's from IDW. It's $7.99. This is written by Brian Ruckley with art by Anna Malkova. Here is your solicit. 
a thrilling conclusion to the saga that started in Transformers 2019. Number one, the Decepticons have the upper hand, Cybertron is falling, and Optimus Prime has an imploder, possibly the most dangerous Cybertronian built weapon in history to his head. This is the Autobots' last stand, but what does Triumph look like in a desperate situation? The war for Cybertron may end here, but the Autobots and Decepticons aren't done yet. They will reappear at Skybound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. So we're getting to the end of IDW's whole Transformers shebang, and this is uh, one of the one-shots that they're doing to sort of, like, close the chapter and, and, and say thank you to all the Transformers fans. I've had... A lot of fun with the Transformers comics at IDW. We've we've read them over the years, and I don't think we've ever given one a leave it. Quite honestly, it, they've been a treat, and they've done so much. And it's very much in the spirit of the Marvel UK Transformers that Simon Furman worked on for so long, that really fleshed out these characters. That at the end of the day are you know robots that turn into trucks and planes and guns and shit. They gave so much personality and did so much with these comics. I'm going to be sad to see them go. I am curious to see what happens, you know, at Kirkman Skybound imprint, but this is kind of one of the final chapters at IDW, so I got to check it out. My pick of the week goes to The Variants, number one from Marvel. It's written by Gail Simone with art by Phil Noto. Here's your solicit. What would it really be like to meet an alternate version of yourself? Another you who had made different choices and lived a completely different life as a result. That's the question facing Jessica Jones, as what seemed like a routine investigation instead has her encountering other incarnations of herself from across the multiverse. Can Jessica get along with herself? Uh, no. Of course Will not. she want to kill her other selves? Yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> And will seeing the lives she could have led drive her into a self-destructive spiral? Come on now. This is what happens when you meet dot, 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 the variants. And you know what? I get it. The multiverse, it's it's in vogue right now, and especially the term variant. But I'm okay with the comics embracing it because it has a double meaning when it comes to comics. It does. The variants. Of course. I love it. It's cute. Oh, uh, but look, I, I love Jessica Jones. I love Gail Simone. Gail Simone back at Marvel is a win. Phil Noto, don't even get me started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, this is a no-brainer. This should be a slam dunk. I'm very excited about it. The teach-in trade for next week is Torso. The trade paperback is from Dark Horse Comics. You may have seen it come out in a million other places. Well, it's coming out from Dark Horse now. It's written by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Andreco with art by Brian Michael Bendis. I bet a lot of you kids didn't know that back in the day, BM, he drew his own comic books. Yeah, real Ben Desets now. It's 288 pages for $19.99. Here's your solicit. Cleveland, 1935. Elliot Ness, fresh from his legendary Chicago triumph over Al Capone and Associates, set his sights on Cleveland in 1935. He went on a crusade <laughs> that matched and sometimes even surpassed his past accomplishments, but dismembered body parts started washing up in a concentrated area of Lake Erie Sound. Headless torsos that left no clues to their identity or reason for death. Elliot Ness and his colorful gang of the unknowns chased the killer through the underbelly of Cleveland for years. As far as the public was concerned, he was never captured. But what really happened is even more shocking. This 1999 Eisner Award winner for comic book excellence is redesigned in the latest addition to the Dark Horse Jinx World Library. I'm betting a lot of the people that listen to the show are not as wretchedly old as you and I. 
Right. And they don't even know that there was a Brian Michael Bendis back in the 90s that was writing and drawing his own crime noir stuff. And it is so good. This is the stuff that made us fall in love with Brian Michael Bendis. Like, without these books, there's no Ultimate Spider-Man. There's yeah, none of that like, stuff. Uh, Jinx World, his his little kind of corner of the universe, Jinx World, it takes his, uh, it takes its name from his graphic novel, Jinx, which was one of the first things he ever did. You can find links to these picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, on our Twitters, and our Facebook every Wednesday, so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic book shop. But we also want to know what you thought of our picks. Did we get it right? Do you feel good spending your money on this stuff? Or did we totally screw you over? And a good place to do that is in our Discord, in the new comic section. You can even go back to the pick where we posted it. You can reply to it and say, God damn it, Joe Patrick, you are a moron. And I am never taking your advice again. Or in the case of the... Cosmic Longbox, you can call me a moron in the back issue comics uh, channel. That's true. Yeah, but that's a, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 668, and next week we are back to reviewing new comics that came out Wednesday 622 and Wednesday 629. Plus, we'll have a new Patreon Extra just for you kids that, you know, aren't quite uh, sold on supporting us just yet. Maybe you just need five minutes of something. You'd be like, hey, I'll give these jerks a dollar. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any comics. Or, t- or 10 or $10. Yeah, you know? or, or 50 If you want to wrap about this week's episode, any comics you're currently reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following in our nerd news section on our Discord, hit us up our live call-in show. It's THN cover to cover. We normally do it every Saturday and we will be back to Saturdays at a regular time, 11 central. You can watch that broadcast live on Facebook, but if you want to play along, if you want to chat with us or you want to actually talk with us, you got to join our discord and we'll tell you exactly what you got to do to get on the show. And don't forget about our question of the week. We're not doing it this week following week. I was just going to say. July yeah, 2nd, we're going to finally hear the answers to this question. Joe Pat, right. set it up. So, to clarify, when Matt said, we will be back, he did not mean this Saturday. No, he I meant s- July 2nd. What I said was, we have not this week. We will be back All for right. a regular schedule. I just said, look, <laughs> not everybody listens to every word. Uh, some people listen at two t- uh, 1.5 speed. I just wanted That's to clarify. That's crazy. I, I, I totally agree. We sound hilarious at half speed, though. We sound I can't even listen wasted. to it at I can barely keep up at, at half speed, three-quarter speed. This week's question is courtesy of James Kaplan on the Ziggurat Worldwide Discord. What's the cringiest era-specific reference in a comic book that you've seen? Like, something that dates the comic book instantly to a very specific moment in time. And not in a good way. Examples. uh, Any comic where Gangnam Style shows up. Or in the Ultimates, the original Ultimates, where the Hulk is obsessed with Freddie Prince Jr. dating Betty. Or like when Spider-Man whipped out his Zoom to listen to some tunes on the way to work. Uh, Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We do have a question of the week channel on the Discord. It is a buzzin'. 
you can also send them to us through email, uh, the Ziggurat hotline, all those things. If you can't be on the show live or you can't listen live, shoot an MP3 to two headed nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the aforementioned hotline. It's 402-819-4894. You could be internet famous. Uh, we do ask that you keep your recorded messages on the shorter side so that we can share the air with all of the live listeners out there. If you're new to the show and you cannot believe two cisgendered males just tried to lay out what is, in fact, a quality coming out story, I assure you, we are both allies and you just haven't heard enough. The good news no, no, no. is... I mean, that's not going to make it any better. We just know that our hearts are in the right place. <laughs> the good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. We do not have ads. And we do it for a reason, because if we let like comic companies like sponsor the show and then they send us a comic and we're like, well, that's crap, they would just take their money in and leave. So we want to thank donors like our newest patron, Andrew Nichols Nikovich. Or or Andy or Andy Five Cents. You know? <laughs> nah, like an old timey yeah. game, like a Sopranos. Later on, it become like Andy Five Cents, you know. Andy definitely. Five Cents, yeah. Hand the God, Tom. Hand the God. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash. Don't be a don't be a nerd. don't be a guma, Andy. When <laughs> That's not what Gumar no, is. It isn't. I know. <laughs> it's like your girlfriend. Dude. I know what a Gumar is. <laughs> when you hear all kinds of exclusive content, or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal, because you don't need no extra content. You just love what you love and you want to throw some cash at it. And that's fine. Can you tell that we've been away from each other for a while? We can't stop making stupid jokes. Before we go, let's let's get deadly serious before we go our weekly shout out goes to legendary comic artist extraordinaire tim sale last week we got news that tim was very ill and had been hospitalized for a serious medical condition that's all we knew the only update we received was less than two days later when sale passed away sale was an amazing artist that worked on too many incredible comics to list here the one that we, we can all agree on is probably batman the long halloween oh man yeah uh superman for all seasons like formative works for some of the iconic characters uh word to you mr sale thank you for everything this is a tremendous loss in a year already full of tremendous yeah, losses. I think we're done for this year. Okay, guys. So I, I mean, I'm done. Like, I'm, I've hold kind of off had until it. January, and we'll start kicking the bucket again then. But I'm done for this year. No more losses. All right? Like we're only halfway through. So <laughs> until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just out your dirty secret. You're a lobosexual who loves those old weird lobo comics. It's time to admit it, pervert. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. But not even the ones where he's got like a metal zipper over his dick and is a big beefy Hulk. No. We're talking about the really old ones where he's like a weird skinny yes. biker. Specifically the one where like Simon Bisley drew him in the thong. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a whole <laughs> different thing. <laughs> <laughs>